Judge Kemp caught the attention of a major online publication when he released an essay about not returning his Eagle Scout pin amid controversy within the organization. Having grown up a black, gay kid in the 1960s South, the grit, sacrifice, and survival skills that an Eagle pin represented went far beyond being an excellent Boy Scout. It's that nuanced perspective and fearless approach that has guided this published writer, blogger, professional entertainer, globetrotter, policymaker, and community leader through the colorful arc of his life and career. Join us for the next episode of Bourbon with Beagle as we discuss defying gravity and never letting the numbers slow you down. I'll be drinking Angel's Envy. What about you? Today, I'd like to welcome Judge Kemp with us today as a guest on Bourbon with Beagle, a talk on the rocks. And thank you, Judge, for being here. Thank you for having me. Great. There are two questions that I always ask all of our guests. One is, what generation are you associated with? I am. Uh, I was born in 1964, so that would put me in the tail end of the baby boomer generation, uh, I believe. So do you consider yourself a baby boomer or a, a X generation person? I think I have multiple generational tendencies. So I kind of sure. dabble in both sides of the track. Yeah. It's, if you're right there on the border, it's kind of hard to, to associate because the boomer generation is so has so many individuals in it and years uh, reflected in it that it's hard to determine if you're like those individuals or the X individuals. So, And do you have a personal philosophy on aging? I actually have two. Oh, great. <laughs> One is I'm I'm doing my best to defy gravity. In other words, I'm trying to keep it all high and tight to reduce the jiggle. <laughs> Understood. Um, and the, the other is uh, it's going to happen to us all if we're lucky. And I'm not about to allow the numbers to slow me down. Sure. Well, I always tell people that numbers are there, but it's not a true reflection of age or mindset. And so I have clients and friends that are 90 and you would think they were 60 and I have 60 year olds that think they are 90. So it's, it's really a, just a mindset on doing that one. So, well, great. Uh, one of the things that I think is so amazing is that you've had a, a really great journey, an interesting journey. And so how has that evolved and led you to your point where you are today? That's a really good question. And I'll do my best to kind of keep my response brief. Uh, um, you know, I could go back as far and say I was born a poor black child, but, you know, <laughs> uh, somebody's already said that, but, you know, honestly, I was a, an awkward gangly kid, a bit uncoordinated in high school. I got involved in theater and dance, and that's really where I found my footing, if you pardon the pun. And, you know, after high school, I was uh, studying in college and I saw this audition notice for a production at SeaWorld in San Diego. And the show was called City Streets. And so I ended up being cast in that show for a number of years. And now strangely, this past weekend just had a mini reunion with some of those folks. And I haven't seen some of them in about 30 years. So fast forward through life in LA, Amsterdam, 
I'm in Portland now. Uh, this is actually where my partner uh, was living when we met. And really, when I got here, I was volunteering with lots of organizations such as Red Dress Party, Basic Rights Oregon, Our House of Portland, and CAP. And I believe this is really how, you know, through the involvement with these great organizations, that so many of the doors were open for me. And that's where I am today. Right. So how did the Amsterdam experience living outside the U.S., how did that uh, feel for you? I loved it. I, I spent seven years in Holland. And I honestly say, even though my love is here in Portland, my heart still is in Amsterdam. And, you know, there's something about that city that is magical to me. It introduced me to so many things uh, in response to, you know, with regard to travel and to uh, other cultures and flavors, all of those wonderful things that, you know, I never really was introduced to while living a stationary life in the U.S. Right, right. One of the things I think that uh, in Holland, especially in Europe, is that gives me as a different perspective on, like you said, different cultures. And, you know, the U.S. tends to think we can do everything the right way, but there are other models out there that seem to work very, very well. Uh, we're just not open to them um, being brought into the U.S. And, and it's mainly on the aging population that I'm more familiar with than anything. So what did what is one of the key things you learned from your experience in Amsterdam? Well, living there, I know that you know, for example, you just hit the nail on the head here in the U.S. We tend to think that, you know, it's our way or the highway. Right. Um, whereas I personally feel that there are other policies that could really be a benefit to us if we were to look at them, uh, such as some of the the, 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 the social services, mm -hmm. uh, those programs and things I think would really be a better benefit for us all. But our culture, our country isn't designed that way. And right. we're kind of paying that price now. Well, I think one of the things that I've seen, especially in the aging community, is there's a, they tend to benefit from new ideas. And, and I'll use an example. People in wheelchairs that have disabilities that do the little rolling thing with the wheels. Um, this has been 15 years ago. I saw the first one where they were actually having to do hand pulls back and forth to move. And I thought that is an awesome idea to be able to do that instead of having to do the wheels. But I haven't seen them in the U.S. at all. So I think that's one aspect on aging that uh, comes about when I think about other parts of the world and, and the services that they provide. So what would you say contributed to the most to where you find yourself today? You know, I think, honestly, I would have to say the strong support systems that I have in place here. And I think about the support of my family and family, I, that also includes my, my partner, my husband, mm -hmm. and also our close friends. Uh, we affectionately call them the posse. Um, <laughs> some amazing social justice minded right. folks and and talented artistically and just wonderful amazing creative people um, sure their support and their love really has made me who i am today and i don't think you know 
if I didn't have those influences with me, I don't think I would be definitely the person I am today. I agree. It's it's the support systems that we all have that help us to grow and to become the best that we can of ourselves. Absolutely. You talked a little bit, we did about policy and seeing it in different parts of the world. And my understanding, you, you were a policy analyst uh, for the state of <laughs> Oregon. So how did you, did you bring some of those insights that you got uh, in other parts of the world into that role? Well, honestly, that title is very technical in comparison to what I actually really did. Oh. Um, I was the um, boards and commissions programs manager. Uh, so I didn't really have a lot of personal influence when it came to the policy side. However, though, you know, that your question, policy can elevate a decision into actionable practice. That is that is is something that you know oregon our state being very proactive was able to have protection for reproductive rights for women for example right so how did your experience being a black gay man what did that contribute to advocacy for you in other roles and policy as well yeah for me it made it I made it my personal mission to try to do what I could to introduce people of color to a lot of the boards and commissions. Sure. And I was very happy that, you know, our governor uh, also wanted to do more to make the boards and commissions more inclusive. My executive director that I worked with, uh, she also was supportive of those decisions and we would also often talk about people we could suggest to be appointed. In what perspective do you think a person of color would bring to that would be extremely beneficial to these boards? Because uh, usually they're, they're very white male <laughs> boards on this one. Uh, luckily, in the Northwest, we have women that have now started to come into those boards. But what perspective do you think what people of color can bring into the discussion? Well, there's the lived experience right. is one thing. Um, there is the, uh, unfortunately, the the academic side of life is probably an area that is not um, highly a, a logical component of our lives, mm -hmm. you know, due to uh, how our systems uh, have been established and and have been maintained. So. You know, lived experiences is one way people of color can contribute to these boards and commissions. And I think in some of these commissions, uh, they have requirements to do this. So you have to be part of that. And I, I think that said, that kind of puts the boards and commissions at a disadvantage because they will only attract you know, a certain type of individual to, sure. their, to their program if they're that way. I think it's, I see it more as a lens. Each individual comes to the table with a different lens of looking at things. And so, you know, collaboratively, hopefully, you can come up with a solution or insights that were not necessarily there uh, at the beginning when you started the discussions. But how do you think, uh, 
Oregon, Washington, California have done in trying to instigate policy that has trying to incorporate some of the uh, individuals of color and GLBTQ plus individuals uh, into their into their uh, roles so that they can play within the states. That's a really good question. And unfortunately, every state has their own policy when it comes mm-hmm. to involvement. So I don't really have a response for that. Um, I can only speak to what was done in Oregon, where right. being being part of the LGBTQAI plus uh, two plus community is definitely something that from a state government standpoint uh, is, is not a detriment. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, in several uh, states throughout the country, you can still be fired for being gay. That's right. So, you, you know, here we are at least encouraged to, you know, be, be ourselves, be true right. to ourselves. And, and that is something that some of us are fortunate to do in our workplaces. Right. I, my native home state where I was born, Oklahoma, is, is not too great on the LGBTQ plus um, decisions that they make with regard to that and very anti if anything, in the same way with Texas, I grew up mostly in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, but I did leave when Ann Richards was governor. So I did my part on at least having her the governor when I left and it's went downhill ever since. But um, I think that probably uh, the perspective that we can bring to it is one of inclusion for one thing uh, and listening to individuals that have different lenses than ourselves and saying to those individuals that matters, uh, your perspective matters, uh, and then hopefully we can come together with something that uh, policy or a decision that is made based on those different perspectives. Absolutely. And, and hopefully that is what needs to be done. So you've also have a podcast and a blog, I believe. Well, you know, I've been thinking about the podcast. I haven't actually gotten that far. Oh. So for the time being, it's just a blog. Okay. Um, but uh, that said, yes, I do have a blog. And I, I the name that I, I think is under it is Judge But Not Be Judged, maybe. Is that the name of it? <laughs> Close. Okay. It's judge, judge, don't judge, dot, 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 much. Much. <laughs> totally off. That's what I get for not reading my little paper here and having it down on that one. So great name. How did that come about and what does that mean? Well, you know, it all really came, came about starting in 2013 and not specifically my blog, but back in 2013, 2013, the Boy Scouts were in a bit of a pickle with their anti-gay policies. Mm -hmm. And in protest, many Eagle Scouts, which I happen to be also be, were sending their uh, Eagle pins back in protest. Mm-hmm. And uh, a girlfriend of mine at the time, Roy Thorpe, who's this great, uh, great social justice uh, warrior, she had recently had something published in Huffington Post. And I was talking to her and mentioned that, you know, it would be really great if I could, you know, I want to write something. And Mm -hmm. so she actually encouraged me to write something and ended up pitching it to the Huffington Post folks, and they ended up publishing it. Congratulations. Thank you. It was about how, you know, from my perspective, I couldn't just 
turn my my eagle pin in because as a black person as a gay person that it took a lot for me just to get through scouts altogether and to sure. make the the rank of eagle uh, I think it's like it's less than four percent. So for me to just you know submit it to turn it back in, I also had to think about what my mother went through uh, for me to be a part of the eagle, the scouting program, all of those things. Anyway, um, that's really how I ended up getting involved in 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 blogging, and they had set me up Huffington Post set me up with uh, an account so that I can submit things and mm -hmm. publish it whenever I wanted but when they shuttered their contributor platform I still wanted to share my thoughts and observations and so that's when I started my own blog well great now it's really interesting to me that you wrote about the eagle scout pen and what brought you to the conclusion i know you said your mother and how hard it was to do it was there any other factors that contributed to you maintaining that pen and and having a voice about it you know it was really um i was just thinking about my mother and the sacrifices that she sure. made you know sure. she had to some of the camping excursions that i went through had to be financed somehow and yeah the amount of work that she uh she would have to work an extra job sometimes just to have a little extra money to, right. to put me through scouts. Yeah. Well, that's a great contribution. So where did, where did you grow up? I was born in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So, so you come from the South. I come from the South. <laughs> well, Texas and Oklahoma is a little bit on the South, but sometimes not depending on what geographical area you're from. But right. I think those perspective, I, um, had a, a lovely guest on recently about, and she's from North Carolina, Stacy Rice. Uh, yes, love Stacy. Stacy's great. <laughs> and so we got to talking a little bit about the differences between the South and the West Coast, and uh, uh, you know, and it really had some some uh, interesting insights Stacy did. But do you have any insights as well coming from that background? Uh, to the West Coast on how growing up in that region and area has affected how you are today and, and where you are? Well, I was a military brat. So um, the one thing that I still recall from the time that I was there and I mm -hmm. lived, you know, we lived in North Carolina, you know, Kentucky, we lived several of the core states mm -hmm. in the east uh in the midwest the one thing i can recall most is the the mentality around black people mm -hmm. and how there is almost this passive acceptance of racism that is i can't say still exhibit exhibited today because i don't live there mm -hmm. but from what I understand, there are still pockets that, you know, you, you don't, you, you don't look a, a white person in the, in the face, mm -hmm. you know, right. you know, that type of old uh, mentality, but in comparison to the West coast, it's a little different. Granted, we have our freedoms um, in Oregon. It is 
probably one of the whiter states in in the union and it we do have more freedoms here i don't feel so afraid however i live in a bubble of portland and if you go to the west side towards you know even in beaverton for example Mm -hmm. that changes you know i recall seeing you know large confederate flags flying high out of the back of a pickup truck uh on one of my trips you know to the west side and i was thinking like why yeah so anyway um it it i'm grateful to living here in the in the west in the pacific northwest specifically mm-hmm. because i have the nature mm-hmm. that's here in abundance right. um I have more freedoms, you know, with regard to my sexuality Mm -hmm. and I have, I have the, a beautiful home. I have a Mm -hmm. handsome partner. I have all of these things that I would not have had um, on the East. I think there's a, a little, and still in some of these States, even in the military communities, um, I have a cousin that her and her husband are biracial mm-hmm. marriage, and they were down at Tinker Air Force Base down in Oklahoma City, Midwest City. And she was taken back because she's from the Northwest as well, mm-hmm. was very taken back how many negative comments and connotations were made about just the interracial marriage issue. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I just find that totally uh, fascinating to one extent. But kind of, I'm going, oh, my God, I can't believe we're still fighting this fight in 2022. Right. Um, and that's the same with GLBTQ plus individuals. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I go down there to visit relatives. And again, I see the Confederate flags. I see all of the hate things going on. And it's just like, my gosh, I thought we had won this battle, but we haven't yet. That, that is yet. Absolutely. What, uh, on your blog, what are some of the topics that you're interested in writing about? I, I, I did look at the Eagle Scout one. That was very moving and very good. Thank you. To have that out there. But you had some other ones on there that were just as interesting. So what what do you like to cover in your blog? You know, my, my tagline is observations of life, liberty, and the ever-elusive pursuits of happiness. So it's it's generally pretty broad i will write about you know social justice things i will write about uh, you know things within the queer community mm-hmm. um i'll also write about you know my experiences uh just in life i recently wrote a piece called the dancer um the dancer in me which mm-hmm. talks about discovering my rhythm and I also recently wrote another piece that's kind of a follow-up to that one called LA and the porn star. So <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, that it's, one did catch a, my eye. I want you to know that <laughs> <laughs> it's not as tawdry as it sounds, but you know, it is just kind of a coming of age, you know, a story that I think people can relate to in some way. Right. And that's, that's what I usually try to do is to, you know, create a conversation. You know, right. for people when they read my my work. I just did a segment with a young man, Cameron, who is Youth Pride Association. And it's a nonprofit that they've set up to go in and do gay awareness weeks in schools. 
And it was pretty profound to me that that this young man, who's probably early 20s, uh, had experienced that. But like you, he came from a military family background where they moved around and, and, and all of those things. But one of the things he was really saying was that now that Florida can't say gay policy, they've had to pull back all of theirs. Uh, programs out of there, but there still is a need for our community to be, especially the youth, to have a peer group, to have someone that they can talk to uh, and relate to about these issues happening in both rural and urban uh, schools. So um, hopefully you'll listen to that. That'll be coming out soon. Uh, But it, it really brings home how growing up in these Southern type environments, uh, sometimes uh, those those are the ones that need the support systems the most. Right, right. And when you write, you know, you you have a you have a, a theater dancing background. You have all of these different perspectives on those things. So, how do you bring all of those perspectives when you talk about one specific topic or a topic such as uh, the dancer within me or that time. We know dancing is part of your background, but other perspectives that were brought into that subject. Well, you know, when I was dancing, I always looked at that as a way out for me, Mm -hmm. a a way to explore, a way to see the world. And I think that has helped me meet people from all walks of life that, Mm -hmm. that performing. I've met people from when I was performing in any case, I'm no longer performing in that capacity. Uh, I met people from, from Africa, from Switzerland, from, you know, all sorts of destinations that as a person that is unfamiliar with the globe or was not as familiar, maybe I should say that piqued my interest. Sure. And when those people would say, well, come and visit us. Unfortunately, I think, you know, we say, let's do lunch, you know, I'll call you. Those those expressions are usually pretty shallow. And the one thing I learned is, you know, when you have met some of these people and they really extend them the opportunity to come and visit, they they mean it. Mm -hmm. And I recall a situation uh, right after the show I was doing in San Diego. I had met some gentlemen from Switzerland, from Zurich, and we corresponded. We were pen pals. They really enjoyed the show and they, they made the invitation of if I ever come to Europe to let them know. And so when I was living in LA, I actually took them up on that uh, invitation and I got a chance to experience Zurich probably like I never I, it wasn't your typical tourist experience. So I do have fond memories of those times and the people that I've come across. And it has uh, really, anytime I get a chance to travel back to Europe, I'm very excited because it's a whole new world to explore again Mm -hmm. and new friends to make. Um, I'm working on my Spanish now so that when I go to Spain in a couple of months, that uh, I'll be able to converse better than your standard American tourist would. I'm looking forward to seeing my friends in Amsterdam again. Uh, My Dutch is a little rusty, but hopefully after a day, I'll be fine. 
Yeah, all of these wonderful experiences. So I'm always in awe of people that have are bilingual or you know have speak several languages because I can just barely speak American coming from Texas. <laughs> so uh, it's just you know like okay, uh, just great on that one. But um, yeah, I think those perspectives and those connections you make, I think there's a very deep connection with some individuals that you have more than others, and when you do, it's really. Uh, great to be able to follow up on those and, and visit them in those countries and uh, experience Switzerland. So hopefully, uh, did you run into Tina Turner? <laughs> she wasn't there yet. <laughs> she wasn't. Okay. Well, she's there now. So hopefully you will. Um, but uh, I think those experiences was what brings us together here. And then when you bring and add in being of color and the LBGTQ plus component and all the other things is, I think it just, it really makes a very vivid uh, example of what you can do uh, with your life. So that's great. So when you do the, the blog, what, so what the latest one was the dancer one, I think, wasn't it your latest the latest one uh, was Ellie and the Porn Star. That's uh, right. That caught, I'll say it again, caught my eye um, <laughs> to do that one. And so any ideas on what future ones are going to be? Uh, yes, I actually have quite a few already queued up. I, I sometimes get in these writing, writing fits or mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them. Uh, and I get very... I just write. And so I have one coming up called the, the road ahead. Uh, I had recently have recently uh, finished a leadership program of uh, with an organization called the American leadership forum of Oregon. Mm -hmm. And it's a year long program. And so that wrapped up uh, a couple of months ago. So th there'll be a piece coming out probably within a couple of weeks about that. And then I was recently uh, in San Diego for my high school reunion, along with the reunion with fellow castmates. And so there'll be a piece uh, down the road, uh, probably later this year as well, about that. Mm -hmm. So I've and got so, a couple of things. So what are some insights from the leadership for, uh, forum? Is that what it's called? You can um, call that ALF for short, A-L-F. <laughs> So what are some of the takeaways you came from out? Um, one of them is the fact that, you know, we truly have a beautiful state. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is diverse, not in, sense, uh, not in the sense of its people, but the landscape itself is very diverse. It has a very fragile ecosystem when it comes <clears> to water. There are parts of our state uh, that, whereas water has been a part of uh let's say a native the native american communities within right. the state of oregon water is a truly significant source of inspiration and spiritual uh, mm -hmm. awakening and so forth also other things that i've learned is the fact that these small towns are all trying to do what they can to be relevant and right. they're getting a fresh flux influx of people returning to them because you know they they as in these new 
newcomers no longer want to be in the big cities and don't right. have to because you know as long as the internet works they can work from anywhere yeah. absolutely uh, so there's there's lots of uh things that i learned along the way so did you compare yourselves with your classmates at your reunion and say who looks better who doesn't look better or did you <laughs> No, um, even though everyone was like, you look the same. Um, I, I just said, thank you. Uh, even though I, I don't feel like I look the same. I, yeah. I did have a name badge that had my senior class photo on it. And, and I had a lot of hair, <laughs> unlike what I have now. But yeah, uh, absolutely, I think I'm happy that I'm still able to attend these reunions. This, sure. is, this was the 40th. And a lot of my classmates do look really well. So well, I, think, I, I think we're all lucky. We are. Absolutely. But I, I came from a very small uh, school in Texas. I think we had less than 200 in our high school. So my Jagging class was 28. Wow. So uh, when you go back, you're going, oh, my gosh. Uh, how did I get out of here for one thing? <laughs> Make the move from from rural Texas and a ranch to uh, out into the Northwest, and then you look around and you're going, oh, you know, these individuals are varied, but they're all very similar uh, to their belief systems they had back then. So, my partner is also from a ranch in in the Dakotas. So, uh, yeah, yeah, different lifestyle entirely. Uh, indeed, absolutely. One of the other things that I saw you have utilized is MaxList. Yes. Uh, and um, explain to me a little bit about and expand on how this helped. And my understanding is in finding your current position. So. Sure. Um, so MaxList is a, it's a job search site for you know the pacific northwest uh there's a gentleman by the name of mac pritchard uh that he's the man behind the site that shares his name i will say i used maxilist and other job boards uh for my searches and i just signed up for notifications and then there was one for um a, a city position not the position i currently have mm -hmm. um that i applied for and i have actually been trying to apply for the city for several years mm -hmm. um i just couldn't you know i lacked this or i lacked that or didn't have enough experience um but this time that changed that's different yeah i was unfamiliar with max list so it was really good to be able to to find that because we post for our, my firm here um, and so we'll start utilizing that site as well but Perfect. yeah but um it's great that you were able to bring that um, job search max list out to the public and and to look at it because you you did a interview with them I believe that was written out I mean it's on their their website yes uh, that really uh, I think for me personally was it was like yeah this is this is great this is how it should work and it's local. Uh, a lot of times we get into these job searches and they're more national and not localized in that perspective. So one of the other things that I think we want to talk about is the future. And how do you think you would describe from your perspective what the future might look like, might not look like? Good question. Um, so for my future professionally, I, I, I see myself uh, 
staying on with the city of Portland, uh, potentially in a different role uh, mm-hmm. as the year uh, years go on. From the personal standpoint, uh, still living, loving, laughing, <laughs> to be cliche. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as for future future generations or future for the city, you know, that there's there's lots of things for everyone to learn. I, I think we're going to, uh, I say we collectively need to make some hard decisions about, you know, what we want to accept and we have to start saying, no, that's not possible. Um, so I'm not speaking from like a city employee you know, right. standpoint. So absolutely. I just wanted absolutely. to clarify. Absolutely. <laughs> this, this is a personal uh, perspective on these things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think, you know, it's really up to those of a voting age, a, a, a younger voting right. age uh, to really change how systems impact people. You know? right. right. And, and I look at the systems of our social uh, programs related to the um, unhoused folks or the the folks with addictive issues. Right. So there, there needs those systems really need to be and, and even enforcement uh, mm-hmm. how, how that looks like or what that is going to look like. So all of these things really need some fresh eyes and a fresh a fresh take of uh, intake of ideas if. This is going to be a, a future for everyone. Exactly. I think one of the more interesting things for me has been how, when you look at other countries, especially in the homelessness and the substance abuse issues and mental health treatment, there are some excellent programs out there. And again, we talked about that earlier, but mm-hmm. I think if we were to take up those, look at them and implement some of them in smaller areas or in smaller states, it might be a, a good test to be able to, to solve some of our issues. Agreed. Voting is number one for me. I think we have got to get the vote out. But it, it's really kind of interesting when I look at the, uh, not so much in the state, state governments, but federal governments, where everybody seems to be 80 plus And it's like, you know, it's time to turn this over to someone else and let them uh, set the path for the future generations. Because even as I age, I go, the younger staff or younger individuals bring up something. Oh, that's a really good idea. I would have never thought of that. So I think that we're the voting is is key here. I'm just kind of sad we've had a step back, especially on women's rights and a few Mm -hmm. other things here Mm -hmm. recently. But I think we're going to have to to get the vote out. Unfortunately, like you said, we live in a bubble up in the Northwest uh, here. I, I'm in Washington State. And so we we kind of tend to, to think that it's it's much better. But then I go back to Oklahoma and Texas. I'm like, oh, no, it's 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 getting worse here. So, well, is there anything else you would like to share with our audience uh, regarding your journey, your perspectives or anything? I just want to say thank you. This has been a great opportunity. Um, you can, you know, follow me on the on Instagram. Uh, you can, you know, check out my blog, judgedon'tjudge.blog. I look forward great. to just seeing what the world has to offer. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Judge, for being our uh, 
guest today. And I will have to say, I first thought you were a judge in the court system. <laughs> and then I read your thing. I'm like, no, I am not a judge. That's my name. I went, okay, okay, got it. So I, I was going to have to be very prim and proper. I thought if you were a judge, a real judge. So thank goodness that didn't occur. But thank you so much. And I appreciate the time you spent and good luck on all your new adventures and definitely be signing up with your blog and on Instagram as well. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much, Gary. Thanks for tuning in to Bourbon with Beagle presented by me, Gary Beagle. Be sure to subscribe to Bourbon with Beagle on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening now. I would like to thank my producer, Dan Bruton, of SignalCast and my digital media and marketing specialist, Aaron Haley. Without them, Bourbon with Beagle would not be possible.